Good morning. Please turn with me in God's Word to the Gospel according to John, the last chapter of John's Gospel, chapter 21. It's page 907 in your pew Bibles. Our reading this morning is from verse 20 to verse 23 in John chapter 21. And now, friends, let us hear these words for what they are, not merely the words of any man, but the word of the living God. Let us hear him. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, What is that to you? Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father and our God, giver of every truly good gift, faithful God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, long ago for our forefathers, you opened the rock and water gushed out as we read earlier this morning. It flowed through the desert like a river. We would ask then our Heavenly Father that in your kindness and mercy in the ministry of your most Holy Spirit you would open up the rock who is Jesus Christ among us here through his word at the river of the water of life which he is for us would create streams in the desert of our hearts and our experiences and our callings that we might more fully than ever be to the praise of his glory. We ask this in his blessed name. Amen. A few days ago I was, I made the mistake of trying to to find some coverage of uh, a recent event by checking out some options on cable news stations. And I happened upon one of them and watched these two gentlemen just going after each other. One, the host of the network show allied with one particular political figure and the guest representing the other political figure. And this was everything you would expect as political discourse is, of course, the great example of civil discourse. They were going at it, and the host launched a series of accusations against the other gentleman's favored politician to which that gentleman replied, 
well, what about, and then started to list a long series of things the other guy was guilty of, to which the host then replied, oh, I see how this is going to be. You guys are going to do your whataboutisms. That was the second or third time I had heard this apparently fairly new popular expression in the last couple of weeks. Whataboutism. Of course, in the context I was uh, witnessing, the whatabout retort was a way of deflecting any accountability or responsibility with respect to those allegations by throwing everything back to the other side as though if another person is guilty, I'm not quite so guilty after all. What about? Here in John's Gospel, chapter 21, did you hear Peter's question? Peter gives us his own biblical version of what aboutism. Peter sees the, the disciple whom Jesus loves following him and Jesus, looks back, looks over to his Lord, and says, what about this man? What is Peter doing here? What's going on in this question? Well, friends, this morning I would suggest that what's going on in this question is something that goes on in every one of our hearts. In one form or another, at one time or another, more ordinarily, many times and in many ways. And that Jesus' reply to Peter in these words, while a bit surprising perhaps, and landing as they do with a bitter front end, will prove on the back end to be sweet to be nothing less than life-giving, to be perhaps an unwelcome word, but proves to be the very thing we needed to hear, the very thing Peter needed to hear, uh, the very thing I suggest we all need to hear at some point. Now, before we get right into Peter's question and Jesus' reply, let's remember this scene in its bigger context, right at the end of John's gospel, if I were to ask you, what's Jesus' Jesus's last conversation with Peter in John's gospel? My expectation is that you are more likely than not to go in your mind's eye to the conversation just before this one, the one that starts in verse 15. And this conversation starting in verse 15 does in fact set up what we hear in Jesus' answer to Peter's last question. In verse 15, what is perhaps a more familiar conversation to us, Jesus and the disciples have finished breakfast. Jesus turns to Simon Peter and asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Presumably more than these as Jesus waves his hand to the other disciples. Do you love me more than these other ones? Do you love me more than you love your brothers, your neighbors? Jesus gets this reply. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. A second time, you remember the story. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, okay, tend my sheep. A third time, now Peter is more than a little uncomfortable. The text tells us he's grieved to get the question a third time. 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? That is more than these. Do you love me? Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And our, our re recollection of this conversation might end there. Except that's not where it ends. Because the very next thing Jesus says to Peter is, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But there is coming a time when you are old, he says, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else is going to dress you. And they're going to carry you where you don't want to go. And to make sure we don't miss what Jesus is saying, John steps in to provide the explanation. John says in verse 19, this Jesus said to show Peter by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after saying this, Peter sa uh, Jesus says to Peter two words, follow me, follow me which helps us understand this really curious thing that happens next. Our main interest this morning, whether we're going to hear properly and well and fruitfully this, this actual last conversation in John's gospel between Jesus and Peter. You see, what happens next is that this group of Jesus and his disciples apparently start moving down the road. And as they are making their way down the road, Jesus and Peter, apparently still in conversation, they start, to, they start to separate a little bit from the group, the way groups do when they are walking from one place to another. Now Jesus and Peter are ahead of the group by a little bit. The rest of the disciples are behind them. And now as they're making their way down the road, you can imagine what's going on in Peter's head. Could you imagine having just been told by Jesus, and this is how you're going to die, and you will not like it. The liberty you've known in your life, you dress how you wish, and you're dressing yourself, you go where you wish, you will find yourself in an older age, no longer in control of your destiny. In fact, you will be put to death for my sake. Could you imagine being in Peter's position, having just heard this? What's racing through your mind? What's racing through your heart? You're staring at the ground and seeing nothing. You hear voices, but you can't make out a word. You're processing this extraordinary word about your own end as a end in suffering and pain. A death at the hand of Jesus' enemies. You are going to be a martyr, Jesus has just said to Peter. Peter has this going through his head. They're making their way down the road. They're a little bit ahead of the group of disciples behind them. Peter, we read in our, ver our passage, verse 20, at this point turns and in the group behind him, he sees the disciple whom Jesus loves, John the Apostle who is himself the author of the text we are reading. Peter turns and sees John and says in response to noticing John behind them, as he turns back to Jesus, 
Lord, what about this man? What about this man? Now, at this point, we fully understand, don't we, Peter's question. I suspect it's one that naturally occurs in every one of our hearts. Lord, you, you, have, you have called me to something really difficult. You have asked me to bear a truly heavy burden. And, and I look around and I know not everyone has this diagnosis. Not everyone has this marriage, this family situation that you've called me to. Not everyone has this instability at work. No, not everyone is facing well, you have, I know, called me to face, and I'm not, I'm not arguing with your wise providence. I'm not rebelling. I'm just looking around, Lord, and the burden is very heavy. And it doesn't seem like all your people are called to bear what you have called me to bear. What about him, Lord? Is this going to be his end too? Is he going to end his days the way I am as a martyr? Is that his calling as well? In fact, there are both negative and positive ways we wrestle in the world contained in Peter's little question. There's a negative way we wrestle in the world of Peter's question ourselves. What about this man? What about this one in whom I placed my trust? What about this one who has taken my confidence in him or her and has torn it to shreds? What about this one who is so clearly rebelling against you? What about, what about these people who, are, who don't want to honor you the way I do? Why? Why does it seem they are spared what you have called me to? What, what are you to do about them? What about them? In our time, one of our popular expressions and terms in our time is this language of deconstructing one's faith. Or a certain generational segment of our population who have grown up in one or another form of evangelical Christianity have, it would appear, suddenly discovered that Christians are sinners too. And upon discovery of just how sinful even Christians can be, have decided to look at the reality of uh, spousal, um, pastoral, uh, elder, uh, and other forms of abuses of power and have decided that the sins of others have granted them license for their own sins provide an excuse of sorts for why they will walk away from the faith reinvented on their own terms and decide what kind of Christ they really believe in and wish to follow. And before we start railing against them, we have to appreciate this is a temptation in every one of our hearts. And if you don't know that yet, you haven't been hurt yet. You haven't been hurt yet by someone who professes Christ and maybe labors within the context of his church. Your heart hasn't been broken yet. If you don't know how hard this is and how strong that temptation is. 
But there are positive reasons we struggle in the world of Peter's question as well, aren't there? Positive reasons that really are a matter of our concern for our brother or sister in Christ. I understand what you've called me to, Lord, but it just seems that you have called them to so much worse. I feel almost guilty for the the kind of life of relative luxury I know and of relative tranquility and peace. And here's someone who I would say is more righteous than I am. And they know only hardship and trouble and difficulty. Sometimes we confuse to our destruction the Lord's command to love others more than we love ourselves. And we we confuse this in such a way that we, we invest exhaustively in the welfare of another. And then we find that when, for providential reasons having to do with hardship or their own sins and rebellion, it's, it's as though we are about to lose our own faith as well when they run off the deep end. Is it not the case that in this room it is likely there are one or two or more of us who know the pain of a beloved father or mother, spouse, son or daughter, who it seems has apostatized, and you plead before the Lord, do something, do something. And the longer you wait for the Lord to act, the harder it is to go on believing what you do. And so Peter looks behind him and he sees a disciple whom Jesus loves and he wonders, you've just told me my end. What about him, Lord? Now how will Jesus reply? With a theology lecture? With a catechism question and answer? He replies in a brief heart and yet loving way by saying something that perhaps none of us expect him to say. Jesus says to Peter, if it is my will that John remain, that is remain alive until I come, until I return again on the last day, what is that to you? You follow me. He doesn't really answer Peter's question, does he? He gets behind that question. He gets underneath that question. And he reaches all the way down in answering that question to the heart of the matter. Now, when you hear Peter's question, you might wonder, Peter, are you, are you asking this question because there's some sense in which you, you believe that this is actually up to Jesus? When someone lives and dies? When you ask him, what about this man? What about, what about him? Are, are you actually assuming that Jesus of Nazareth is Lord over life and death? He decides if someone lives and dies and when and how? Jesus' reply agrees with Peter's assumption. 
He says, you're right. This is up to me. And Peter, if I want John to live all the way until I return, you're right, I can do that. It's true, I hold the power of life and death in my hands. You're right to assume I am Lord over all things, including these central things of concern. Yes, life and death and every moment of both are wholly under my authority, Peter. But when it comes to what I'm going to do with that power, with him, a loose translation of Jesus' answer is, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. Now, it's, he doesn't mean by that that Peter is wrong to have any such concern for his brother in Christ. That, that for some, in some way, the only way to answer Peter's question is with sarcasm. He says in so many words, it's none of your business because it is utterly my own. And I know what I am doing in John's life. Friends, this morning, this may be exactly what, in one way or another, every last one of us needs to hear and be reminded of. Earlier, just before this scene, you remember Jesus' three times asked question of Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than you love these? Do you love me? More than these other disciples, more than your brothers, now we understand, more even than what's happening in John's life, what's happening to John. Do you love me more than John? Do you love me more than all of these? And when Peter answers yes, Jesus provides the and so response. Follow me. Now, Peter gets the quickest ever sermon application. Okay, I've just told you how you're going to die. Peter, but what about him? Peter, Peter, look at me. You know how a father is with a child who is upset, kind of losing control, spinning around in distraction, weeping from their eyes, dirty maybe when their hands and feet having just fallen down, and they can hardly keep any sense of self-control, and the parent gets down to their level, says, look at me, look at me, just look at me, look at me, to still them, to quiet them, to calm them. Peter has just been told how he's going to die as a martyr. And he asks, what about John? And Jesus looks at him. Peter, Peter, look at me. Don't look around. Look at me. You, you follow me. Remember what I just said, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And what did I say after that? I said, follow me. Now, now you have to do it. This is what it looks like to follow me. It means you will not lose your faith because of your love for someone who does. You will not lose yourself in someone else's wickedness 
or folly. You will not lose yourself and your trust in me because of what I am doing in someone else's life whom you love and love in the right way you should love them because your son or your daughter is ill and will not and cannot get well because your job is unstable, because your friends are, are suffering and r- maybe even running away from the Lord or love the Lord but are suffering greatly. You will appreciate, Peter, I know what I am doing in them and I'm glad you love them. I love them more. You just follow me. Boy, do I ever need to hear that about 30 times a day. The burden of Jesus' reply is tart, yes. It's finish is sweet. Peter is told, yes, it's none of your business. But he is told this because it is Jesus' business. Peter has been told what is going to befall him. And he is told, so therefore, follow me. Regardless of the specific forms of obedience that other people are called to pursue, you, and in John 21, it's a very emphatic you. You, Peter, look at me, look at me. Don't look around. You follow me. You follow me. Now, Jesus is not belittling either disciple. One of them, Peter, is called to a strategic pastoral ministry that will end in a martyr's crown. That's the service he is called to render for the glory of Jesus Christ. The other, John, is called apparently to at least a longer life and to his own strategic historical and theological ministry and witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, including It's written form, which we are reading together this morning. Nathaniel will have his own story. Philip will have his own story. James will have his own story. And those stories are not arbitrary. They're not coincidences. Jesus is assuring Peter that down to the very minutest of details, Their callings and the content of their callings flow from the infinite power and wisdom and love of Jesus himself. Now that will be comforting only to the extent we remember why we struggle with that question ourselves. But what about her, Lord? What about him, Lord? He hurt me. She's suffering. It will be comforting to us when we remember that his hurting of others, her suffering under the hand of God's providence are in their own ways utterly and fully in accord with the counsel and purpose of the one who holds every matter of life and death in his hand and who has purposed the good of his people. John's commission is not given in the same form as Peter's. Peter needs to be reminded of this 
before he begins this most fruitful stage of his own service to Christ upon the event of Jesus' ascension. When he becomes what he will be in the book of Acts, an extraordinarily important leader of the church in its earliest years, he will do that and he will die the martyr's death in faithfulness, but he will do that now going forward with these words ringing in his ears as he will in the years to come learn of people being put to death for the faith they have in Jesus Christ and wanting to see churches grow in hostile regions and looking at the turmoil of within the church in his own day, Peter will need to have these words ringing in his ears all the time or his good love for others will quickly become a weakness rather than strength and he will lose himself in the loss of others. These words protect us, friends. They protect us from being lost in the folly of others. They protect us while also opening us up in love for one another. They protect us from that love becoming its opposite, ending in death instead of life. They protect us as they are paired with this word of deep consolation. Words of deep consolation, every would-be disciple is called to keep in front of us, especially when the church proves not to be what she is called to be. When heralds and servants of life bring us tears and sadness and loss. Years ago, as a pastor, I remember meeting with the leadership of a church, wrestling mightily with the hard providence of that congregation having been led, it seems, only from one trial to another and then to another. And it seemed eerily similar to what I had seen in the life of a particular Christian who seemed herself to be called only from one severe trial to another and then to another. And looking around the table at these godly men wrestling with what the Lord is doing in their midst, I saw brothers in Christ at the very precipice of losing themselves in their love for those who are bringing great hurt. And I didn't have the words then. And I'm not the one who has the words now. But I now hear the words that can deliver and save from the hurt that not only the world causes, but even our brothers and sisters in Christ. I know what I am doing in her life. That wayward son, that wayward daughter. I know you don't get it. Who could? That brother who hurt you, that sister who broke your trust. I know what I am doing in these people. 
and I know you love them. Don't let what I am doing in their lives be the measure of your following me. Peter, it's none of your business because it is completely mine. You, Peter, look at me. Friends, do we need to hear the Lord say this to us? Look, look at me. I know. You follow me. And when you do, friends, I can tell you, you will find him faithful. He will not disappoint. Not because you'll have every question answered, but because you will find at the end of your journey of trusting him something infinitely sweeter and better than an answer to your every question you had along the way. You will find him. And you will find him more satisfying than what right now seems to be the only thing of concern. You will find him more satisfying, more worthy of your present confidence, more worthy of your unreserved entrusting of yourself to the one who judges justly than you ever thought possible in the midst of your worst pain. Not because he denies the reality of your pain. Not because he pretends the loss isn't real. Not because he thinks it's wrong for you to care as much as you do for your friend, your family member, your brother, your sister in Christ, but because he cares far more and he is able and does do something about it. And your story does not include your call to faith as a peripheral matter. But friends, this is the very stuff of discipleship. That over and over and over and over again, he proves his love and wisdom are enough. Would we ever want a savior other than that one? Would we ever want to serve a Lord who doesn't in fact rule over the matters even of life and death? Would we ever want a shepherd unlike this one? Who not only knows our end from the beginning, but has in love purposed every moment of that path to be one in which when we try him, he proves faithful. When we press him in our prayers and faith, he bursts with life-giving water. Would we ever want a Jesus different from this one? In honesty, sometimes we think so. And Jesus is telling Peter, I know and I get it. Look at me. No, really, look at me and only me and follow. May the Lord grant us grace to do that in every way he is summoning us in our hearts at this moment and in the years to come to do that, that we might prove his faithfulness and know the sweetness 
of the end of our pilgrimage, which is not merely something that Jesus gives, but something that Jesus is, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Let us pray. O blessed and faithful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess the readiness of our heart's distractions from you. And we rejoice in your firm yet loving summons to yourself. Grant us, we pray, the grace to know what it looks like truly from the heart to follow you in such a way that our love for others does not become corrupted, that our confidence in you does not waver. Grant us, Father, this following which you command because you are so generous a God as to give the things you command. And we will rejoice in this gift. And we will rejoice in this Jesus who is so full of peace and life and joy for us that we may rest in him with confidence, come what may. We ask for this, confessing our great need for such devotion. And we seek it in the one who is our life and joy, Jesus Christ, and pray in his name. Amen.